0: Welcome back to Indie Ball Nation, and it is a true welcome back because Indie Ball is back in session. We are through the first weekend of the season in the Atlantic League, and we have a ton to cover, so we are jumping right into a recap first, and then we'll start talking about the Atlantic League preview. Finally, getting that out. It has been a couple weeks dealing with that, I'll tell you that much. First things first, let's head to Gastonia where Frederick, welcome to the party, Frederick. First weekend of your Atlantic League time and you've got Gastonia and oops, you have got them short-handed because it seems like Frederick is dealing with some visa delays which means they are showing up without Starlin Castro, without Jimmy Paredes, without Rowdy Reed, without Moises Sierra, without Dovidas Neverauskas. I think I did pretty well on that one. I've been trying every time. I've been getting a little bit better. No Edgar Garcia. It's a tough scene, and here you go. Here's last year's best team, Gastonia Honey Hunters. Welcome to it. Uh, without them, the Honey Hunters, who do not need any help at all, they were on the hunt early and often. In game one, a five-run fifth opened up an 8 nothing lead for Gastonia. That was plenty for Mitch Walden, who delivered five solid innings of work on the way to a 10-4 uh, game one win for Gastonia, a uh, Craig Dadello two-run homer in the sixth gave Frederick their first official runs, interesting note there, but Marcus Walden, he exited after allowing two runs on five hits with six strikeouts over six innings of work, he showed out, that's exactly what they're looking for from Gastonia, Frederick would score first in game two, but Zach Jarrett and JC Ascara homers in the bottom of the first would get that right back, giving Gastonia a three-to-one lead on their home turf, Both starters, Nate Pedden and uh, Alex Sanabia, would have tough outings. They were both out of the game uh, before having a chance to get a decision. Bullpens took over for them in the fourth inning with the game tied at five apiece already. But from there, it was Gastonia's bullpen trio of Gunnar Kynes, Tyler Thomas, and Jamie Schultz Delivering six innings without an earned run. And then a pair of Moya, of Stephen Moya. I want to say Moises Sierra again. But uh, Stephen Moya bombs. Sealed the deal for Gastonia in an 8-6 to six win. Mark Minakazi gets ejected. That dude. Yay yeah, Look, man. Tough weekend. But you love to see a little bit of fire from Minakazi. That's how you know it's a really indie ball season here. Uh, he was ejected. Some bad calls, by the way. He was right. 100%. Carlos Echeverria behind the dish. Don't really know him. It was a bad scene. Um, it, it was actually worse the next day, too. Which... I won't get into it now, but check out the Twitter account. If you're not following Twitter, you should absolutely do it because it is uh, a ride and constantly reacting to whatever's going on in Andy Ball, which is a lot, bro. It's always something. Uh, But yeah, I hate to see it, but I always love Mark shaking things up, so he's good for it. He did not take a base this time, uh, so, you know, probably won't end up on John Boy Media. After losing that early lead in Game 2, Frederick would not see another lead in Game 3. Zach Godley tossed five scoreless innings, striking out seven as Gastonia completed the sweep with a 7-4 win. Strikeouts were an ongoing issue this series for Frederick. They struck out 33 times. It is to be expected, again, a lot of replacement players currently on the roster. I think they have like eight guys from University of Kentucky. Uh, that's tough. That's one way to roll into an Atlantic League season feel for them. Uh, regardless, yeah, it's a tough start for the Frederick franchise, but it's not too destructive, let's be honest here. Fully, you know, those teams are going to go on with everybody who they should have on their roster and get swept by Gastonia this year. So it's not the end of the world. Um, you can bounce back from that it's still early. Bare days ahead for them. Probably even more of this coming down the road for Gastonia. I think they're going to be a wrecking ball. We're going to talk about that in the Atlantic League preview. Um, they took Frederick Pitching Deep 10 times, by the way, over this three-game set. So Gastonia is here, and they're going to be a problem once again. Keep it moving to high point. Long Island made their way to high point to debut their high-powered offense. Boog Powell got it going right away. Leads off game one with a home run in his first plate appearance with the Ducks. Also, since his recent passing of his father, which, Oh, how can you not be romantic about baseball in my bag, in my feelings? You kidding me, Boop? Love it for him. Uh, actually second straight opening day. I think he's a uh, homeward for a new team. So that's a weird book pal thing. That guy rakes, man. I was thinking about how last year he had like a down year. No OPS over 900. Just did his thing. Hit like 319 or something ridiculous. Boop pal's gross. Um, high point, high point did answer right away in the bottom of the first inning. And, uh, did the same after the Ducks scored again in the third, staying on them until Ben Aklinski would turn around a pretty good Chris Cepeda slider. No shame and it. it was it was like caught a lot of the plate, but it was low. Uh, and McKlinsky just went and got it and turned that thing around for a homer, and that'd be all the scoring that this game would offer. The Rockers win it three to two in a game that had two rain delays, you know, just burning through pitching to start the season. That's a tough one, but you gotta be happy that at least it's you know, you play the weekend, and you got the Monday day off, so it's not like six in a row you gotta go through in the first game you're burning your bullpen out. Book Pound, and Daniel Murphy Murphy both had three hit games in the loss. Boog, as I said, homer in the first. On to game two, Ben Bramer, he delivered six no hit innings for high point, handing it off to Gabriel Castellanos for a hitless seventh before Austin Ross finally allowed a Luis Guerrero single with one out in the eighth inning. By then the Rockers were well on their way to a ten to one win. Michael Russell, Shed Long, Bo Taylor, and Daikon Yo all had two hit games. Bo Taylor collected six ribbies, including a three run bomb. By the end of this one, it did seem like Long Island was a little low on pitching like we talked about after the night before in the heavy bullpen use. So a couple of guys got shelled through the back end of that, and they just let him go it was what it was. Uh, game three, though, Long Island did manage to salvage game three of this series with a five-to-two win behind five shutty from Stephen Woods Jr. got to love it for him. Welcome to the party, Stephen Woods Jr. High Point managed 10 hits, including multi-hit games from Long uh, from Long Jr., Russell, Oklinski, and DJ Burt, which does sound like a DJ name, but like from Burt and Ernie, which we're going to definitely play with later. Uh, the Rockers, they just couldn't string it together. I mean, 10 hits, but just two, ri- two runs, that's a tough one. On the other side, Long Island saw two hit games from uh, Danny Hetchivari. I'm going to stumble over it every time. Uh, From Sam Travis, Guerrero, and Daniel Murphy, who launched his first Atlantic League home run to open the scoring in the first. Murphy is 5-12 for with a homer, a double, and three ribbies to start his Atlantic League career. How you doing? Keep moving. We're in Southern Maryland, Lancaster at the Blue Crabs. The Barnstormers went down to Southern Maryland for a North Division Series rematch, and those Blue Crabs were red hot to start the revenge tour in 2023, bringing out the brooms on the defending champs. (laughs) Oh, I hope you like your trophy. We're going to make sure you have a bad taste in your mouth before your ring ceremony. After an opening night rainout, they played 2-1 Saturday. And, I mean, is there anything more disastrous for a team than Daryl Thompson showing up to a 7-8 game? He had, like six complete games one season four of them were seven in games he did not go complete game in this one but it's just the way they can limit the bullpen usage like that is a problem that is key to southern Maryland's success at all times is deep outings from starters don't give them in games it's an issue but daryl thompson and isaac Matson led the way on the mound in what became the delayed opening night game um as the rockers took game one eight to three Southern Maryland scored those eight runs on just three hits thanks to two walks, a pass ball, and a sack fly in a four-run third inning and then a three-walk, two-hit batter, sack fly, wild pitch combo in a three-run sixth inning. Whatever works, Southern Maryland. Ariel Sandoval did have a three-for-three game with a pair of doubles for the Barnstormers in the loss. Right after this, Mitch Lampson on the bump for Southern Maryland. He battled through five innings of no hit ball, wasn't pretty, it walked some guys, but five innings no hit ball before finally allowing an Andretti Cordero homer to start the six. no hitter gone, shutty gone, tough scene. That would end Lamson's night, but he pitched well, man. He looks like he's going to be back as a major problem in the rotation. Yeah, you think you're done after you've got Daryl Thompson? I got Mitch Lamson behind him. That sucks, uh, but he did enough to help the Blue Crabs win two to one. He did enough. I say that like he didn't do much. He threw five no-hit innings. I'll shut my mouth. A Michael Wielanski RBI triple in the fifth ended up being the difference for the Blue Crabs as they took Game Two. Uh, Jared Lekine went three innings for Lancaster, striking out half of the 12 batters he faced in the loss, so how about that? That's a good sign for Lancaster. At least take that as a silver lining because Southern Maryland completed the sweep in a back-and-forth game on Sunday. Wielanski homered in the first, and an Alex Crosby single would make it 2 to nothing early. Jake Hoover tied it up in the second with a two-run single before Lancaster covered a Blue Crabs run in the fourth with two of their own in the fifth. A Melvin Mercedes RBI double made it 5-3 to three Lancaster in the seventh, But Braxton Lee and David Harris, RBI doubles, and then Alex Crosby, which, by the way, have a weekend Alex Crosby, RBI single, put the Blue Crabs ahead for good in the bottom half of the inning. Andre Scrub shut the door on his second save of the series, second in actually He did do game two of the doubleheader, as I recall. Um, As the Blue Crabs, they're still feeling out their options. No Matt Latos this year. I think he's hung it up officially. I didn't see an announcement, but keep an eye out for that. No Matt Latos right now, Uh, and they're looking for who is going to be the heir apparent. To that uh is air apparent if it's already somebody's you know inheriting it doesn't matter let's not get the semantics there we got more cover we're going to staten island and up on staten island if you missed friday night between charleston and the fairy hawks you missed all the action as saturday and sunday night both saw rainouts, that sucks for charleston taking the drive up you go through what was not a very warm and pleasant spring training in charleston uh just to take a bus up to staten island from west virginia that's a long one and then get one game in, and you have to take the ride back to North Carolina and play High Point next. That's that's tough. Um, so yeah, Saturday, Sunday, both ran out. This one was actually rained shortened too. You don't even get nine innings in classic. There was one. Oh, was it twenty? Wow, oh, must have been twenty twenty one. Where I think there was a four game set between Lexington and Long Island. They might have gotten like one of those games and maybe two. No, I think that was I think three shortened games and it took five days to do it. I think that was what went down. Um, I digress. This one, ran short in seven innings, but saw Kyle McGowan dealing disgusting behavior from Kyle McGowan. Takes a no-hitter through five. That was the theme for the week, if you can't tell, no-hitters through five. As the Fairy Hawks build up a 3-0 lead, he was replaced by James Pazos in the sixth inning, and the wheels fell off quickly. Not only did the no-hitter get broken up one out later, but Jeffrey Perez, uh, but a Jeffrey Perez RBI single. A Bobby Bradley three-run bomb and a Mitch Gelfie solo shot made it five to three Dirty Birds, and they were not... Looking back, because the rain was coming and would cut this one short. They went at five to three. But shout out to Kyle McGowan. You will get like zero credit for this in the long run because it's weird game one, shortened game, whatever. But dude, faced 16 batters, struck out 11 of them, didn't up a hit. That's gross. Love that for Kyle McGowan. He is going to be a problem in this league. If he hangs around, it might be tough to keep him on the roster. Finally, wrapping it up, York at Lexington. It was a new era in Lexington as so they have rebranded to the counterclocks officially. Um, they welcomed York to town the counter battled back from a first-inning Nelly Rodriguez-RBI double, not how you want to start things uh, with the new team identity. But uh, a Connor Owings two-run third-inning homer would help Lexington build up a 5-3 to lead. Joey Steele, Aaron osh I want to say, but I'm going to have to clean that one up as I go. And Garrett Schilling teamed up for three-and-a-third scoreless out of the pen uh, with uh, – To preserve a 5 4 Lexington win, Brant Broussard, Appiatal, Avellino, and Owings all had multi hit days for Lexington. For York, it was Nelly Rodriguez who was going to have a year, yo. I'm telling you, Nelly's about to have a year. Watch him. Uh, We'll talk more individual projections later down the road, but boy, I think Nelly's going to kill it this year. Uh, 3 for 5 of that RBI double in the first. Heading over to Game 2 on the Saturday. Three home runs spread over each of the first three innings. Got to be sharing. Um, Got Game 2 rolling right for Lexington. York did manage to tighten things up a little bit. They applied some pressure in the ninth, but it was just too little too late as they dropped this one 6-3. to three. UD Garcia gets the W, tossing five innings and allowing just one run while striking out six for the counterclocks. Ronnie Dawson, Jake Gitter, and Thomas Dillard hit those three home runs for Lexington. In the ninth inning was Josh Martin called on to close. there were the bases, juiced, and one out in a 6-2 game. That's a little ballpark, man. That's a tense situation. The balls can easily get out of that place. Just an easy fly ball I've seen go out of there, sadly. That's a tough situation, though, so that's showing some trust in Josh Martin to bring him in there. Uh, in Game 3, York did salvage Game 3 of the series, thanks in large part to a to six innings on the bump from Nick Raquette, where he allowed just one run on three hits. He struck out seven. Offensively for York, it was a solo home run off the bat of Troy Stokes Jr. That was really all the fireworks provided, but that would be enough to overcome. Uh, solid six innings of work from Patrick Lede and three innings of one-run ball from Lexington bullpen. Lexington bullpen looking very good this weekend. Uh, the counterclocks take two out of three in their first series since the rebrand in what has to be considered a huge win for them, if we're honest, because expectations were low. They immediately got on York. York is not a great team, but they handled their business, and shout out to Lexington for getting it done. Um uh, That's it. Those are the games that we had this weekend. We will talk about a little bit more. We want to dig into some projections uh, on on the Atlantic League team side of things. Not really going to do individual stuff quite yet, but we'll see what comes down the road. Let's get after it. It's Indie Ball. Boy, we got actual Indie Ball to talk about. How good is it? How good is it? Alright, we have made it to opening day. No time like the present to drop a season preview on it. I'd like to get these things out earlier. I plan to be getting them out earlier for the other leagues, but that's just how it goes. You're at the mercy of a full-time job, and oops, I'm finally ready to do this thing on Friday, and everyone announces their actual uh, opening day rosters, and their. Some of them are so different, like up to like eight to 10 guys different than what I had. And that changes everything. So I was like, you know, what, whatever, I'll work this thing over the weekend. So we'll talk today. We're going to talk projections. We're going to talk playoff odds. We're going to talk about what to keep an eye on this season. Talk about maybe some predictions I have for the playoffs. What we're not going to talk about, we're just going to keep this thing focused on the teams and the players for now. We're not going to talk about the rule changes. There's going to be plenty of time to discuss that as we watch these games. I already saw a whole bunch of the pinch running rule coming into effect uh, the step-off rule is not in effect yet, so we don't really have much to talk about there, and the double hook is nothing new. So we're mostly watching the pinch runner rule at this point. Uh, and also, and also not going to talk about flow sports right now. That's a different conversation for a different day. I've got a lot of feelings on it. If you follow it on Twitter, again, Indie Ball Nation on Twitter, definitely check it out. Uh, been a lot of talk about flow sports and the frustrations there. So we will get into that as well, but not today. Uh, also not going to get into the individual predictions. We're just going to be looking at a lot of numbers, and I just don't think we need to muddle that. So kind of as we go, Uh, Talking about recaps and all that, we're gonna just we'll you know shout out what guys' projections are as things go on. I already teased the fact that uh, Nelly Rodriguez uh, his projections are to just go off, so you know you'll see little things pop up here and there. Now, before we get going, I do get a lot of questions about projections, a lot of uh, (laughs) critical feedback, we'll say, Um, especially, you know, now that I've expanded beyond the Atlantic League, I frequently get asked where the projections come from, usually angrily because somebody didn't like something, Um, without getting too into the weeds today, because again, there's a lot already going on today, projections in general, I calculate them, Uh, it's something that I've just always been interested in and I learned how to do and sort of go from there, but the gist of it is projections are taken from generally the last four seasons of play for most players. Um, weight or emphasis is added based on the recency, the uh, level of league being played in each season, uh, among other things, uh, including like if you a lot of it takes a lot into account. Like, for instance, if you know guys playing banged up, you won't wait like second half of the year stats when after he was injured as heavily as other ones like weird things like that come up. And that's where it gets a little bit difficult because a lot of the weighting and the finer points are all sort of balanced against what i have come to learn over time and you know things you happen to know like if a guy played in the frontier league last year it's more you know applicable to how he might do in the atlantic league than it was a few years ago um and what does the (laughs) can league even mean at this point if it's still relevant so Uh, A lot of those things, it makes it a little bit difficult. I always wish that there was some way I could just put it out there like, hey, if you would like to know projections and how this works, this is how you can do it. And here's what I have and you can go do it. But it's a little more difficult than that. And I don't see that to be like, you could never. You could. You could probably do better than me. Um, But that is not, you know, it's not a hard science. Uh, I admit that freely and I'm often wrong. However, I will say I'm usually pretty close. Uh, the past two seasons, my team projections have been within about two percent of team records on average, uh, within forty percent of o- or forty percent, good lord, forty points of OPS for batters and about 0.3 runs of ERA for pitchers. So it's been hanging around pretty closely. Um, this year, no longer just doing the Atlantic League, doing all seventy-plus indie ball teams. I've had to do things a bit differently. I've had to. It was a time-consuming process with all that I said earlier, so uh, I'm doing it a little bit differently, and we're gonna find out if it's just as accurate. I really hope it is. Hope it's more accurate than ever. But um, essentially, I've been out kicking. <laughs> I've been out kicking the coverage a little bit on, uh, you know, if you were to look at experts projecting like Major League Baseball, I'm closer for indie ball than they are to that. I don't say it to brag. I say it to be like. I'm expecting a backslide here, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but, yeah, that's where it comes from. At some point, I'll probably do an in-depth thing on where projections come from and maybe how you can kind of do it or I can get into it. Um, but, yeah, there you go. Um, before we really start digging in then, uh, to we'll talk, first of all, we'll talk about the weekend. Um, hey, like, subscribe, do all that stuff, you know? Twitter, Instagram, Indie Ball Nation, YouTube, Indie Ball Nation. Same, same vibe, I'm trying to keep it simple for everyone. All right. Or don't, you know, if you, if you don't think I deserve a follow, that's fine. I'll be real passive-aggressive about it. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. All right. Talking real quick before we get in the projections about the series this weekend. Frederick and Gastonia. First of all, this isn't what I should be taking from this, but I love the idea of <laughs> rebranding the team midseason. I think it's electric. I think it's so cool. I love the way the Dirty Birds did it when they were the West Virginia Power, which is one of the worst names out there. Um, and mid-double-header, they rebranded. Sick. Awesome move. Um, I... The uniforms are bad, dog. Like, I get... I think it's funny. I like the whole, like, question mystery box vibe of it. There was another way to do it. And I think uh, the, the issue... There's two issues right now in my head. One is it's ugly as sin. And two, and two is... Uh, Again, you are trying to explain the Atlantic League product to Frederick. And I'm sure there's other things going on I'm not in the market. Um, I will be soon. I'm looking to go visit it very soon. Uh, but I feel like you're trying to explain what the Atlantic League is, which was a battle in Lexington. I Remember that. It's a battle in every town. You're used to minor league baseball and affiliated ball. And all of a sudden, indie ball is there. And people have very different ideas of what that is or no idea what that is. And now you got, like, you're like, is this banana ball? And then the team comes out covered in question marks. And you're like, I guess it is um hate that so that sucks but uh other than that oh and the helmets if i recall what i saw there the helmets just think the black helmet like no logo hate it hate it hate it um but love the idea disagree on the details but that's fine um i'm a trust in chuck domino type of person so i'm gonna let that ride he's calling the shots over there um when it comes to the series itself, Gastonio is gross. We knew this. We knew Gastonia was going to be so good. They've done good work this offseason. We're going to talk about that more. Uh, we knew it's so, it sucks for Frederick not to have those guys from the visas. And Gastonia by the way, is missing guys, too. Todd Van Steensel, he's still not around. Um, looking forward to him being here. Love Todd Van Steensel. That's been an ongoing thing on this channel. Um, but, you know, it's not just Frederick, but Frederick is certainly hit harder than everyone. Um, you know, Additionally, they are bringing Sterling Castro, which is a different conversation as well, um, for reasons, right? You can Google it, and we'll figure it out from there. We will be a conversation. Um, A little bit frustrating, but, you know, I guess to each of their own. Um, But to the action in the field, again, um, I think Frederick's going to be a good ball club, man. I really think they are. They've done a good job building the roster. I think they've got that weird mix. I think long Island has something similar as well where their top players are really good players are unlikely to be signed, um, away from them, which is a huge win. They're kind of past that point. And I think that's going to make them more dangerous than people think. I think they're going to be sneaky. Good. Um, I think they are definitely a threat to not necessarily uh, Gastonia, but maybe like a high point and, uh, knocking them out of a potential playoff berth there. Um, as for the weekend itself, yeah. I mean, that sweep is unsurprising as anything. The umpiring was really bad in yesterday's this weekend, though. It was really bad. At one point, uh, I was tweeting about it. Um, I'm not going to pull up the tweets now. Maybe I will, actually. I lied. Um, I hit the wrong keys right away, though, so that's a bad sign. Um, it's just that um, it, it, there was, uh, first of all, the umpire that threw Mark uh, Minakazi out the other day on Saturday... Yeah, he wasn't good. <laughs> he wasn't great. Um, but he, everyone kind of knew in advance that the Sunday umpire, uh, who I'm not going to take the I'm look up his name, um, was just going to be not good. And boy, were they right. I mean, at one point, I think he had called, I want to say, 14 strikes uh, with Gastonia batters up. Called 14 strikes, which were a lot, by the way, uh, if you're curious. And eight of them were balls like he was literally batting under 500 or he was yeah a win percentage under 500 essentially for um when gastonia was at the plate and he called a strike so that was brutal um but I, I tweet about that and i'm not gonna pull up the numbers right now but um yeah that's it i mean hoping for frederick's sake that they can get a win going here um y- you don't want this to go on too long remember the cringe of last year with staten island but this is definitely a better team than staten island was last year i mean there's no doubt about that uh, so it's just a matter of they got to, you know, connect and get their first wing going. Um, Frederick is heading to, I know this answer. I think, oh, they're heading home because Lexington's coming in. Um, moving on, Long Island at High Point. Don't got much to say on this one. I think Long Island's a better team than they showed. Uh, I think they were really beat up from that first night. I mean, you take the ride down from Long Island to North Carolina, you have, uh, I think, a delayed start, if I recall. I know they definitely had two sizable rain delays that took pictures out of the game. And all of a sudden you're burning through seven, six, seven pitchers on your first night. That sucks, man. Uh, that's a tough scene. I mean, unless on the other side, if you're high point, that's awesome. You brought in Long Island. Everyone's hyped about Long Island's uh, lineup. You shut them down a little bit. You you played good ball. I'll say it now. Bryce Hensley looked great. Our guy, friend of the show. He's the one who does the intro natural music. music. Uh, he's got an album out. Go check that out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, high point looked a little bit better than expected even. And I think that's a good sign for them. I think they weren't playing Long Island at their best. But you got to take what you can get, man. If you got games against Long Island, and you, it doesn't matter how you catch them, man. If you can beat them, beat them. Uh, it doesn't matter in the standings at the end of the year. Uh, Lancaster and Southern Maryland, boy, Southern Maryland look good. Um, Lancaster, not even Lancaster look bad. Uh, Lancaster's bullpen is not very good. That's just the way it is. Sorry, guys. But um, that proved to be an issue. Southern Maryland, uh, their bullpen is bad on paper. We'll talk about that more. But um, I just – at this point, I don't even know what to do with the fact that Southern Maryland just finds a way to pitch. They just find a way to pitch constantly. Uh, the offense, they feel like – I feel like they made very little effort. We'll talk more. Again, it's in the projections. But they did not do much to improve the offense. But And the offense was not good last year, despite how good the team was. They're about average at best. And uh, Southern Maryland just cruises along, just pitches, man. They pitch. Like, as I said, even during the, uh, the quick recap of the weekend, if you can get – they will do at every opportunity they will leave a starter in as long as he can go and save that bullpen and keep them fresh and keep it to just the, the top end bullpen guys. And they can thrive like that. And it's an example of how to do it. It's tough to replicate because if you get in trouble early in the week and you burn the bullpen out or you lose a starter or something like that, then all of a sudden you're up against it. Um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to watch Lancaster's a good team though. They'll be fine. Um, just a weird weekend. Um, Charleston, Staten Island, that's a tough scene for Charleston, as I said, taking that bus ride up there and then having to come right back after one seven-inning game. That sucks. Um, Staten Island, uh, you know, that's frustrating. Staten Island did this thing last year. They did – and, again, we'll talk about it, but they weren't that bad of a team last year. That sounds crazy. They finished 40 games behind Gastonia. But um, I found that they – their pitching was actually above average, and their hitting was – well below average but occasionally they hitting would get it going <laughs> and like they were almost in this like weekly cycle as i recall it might not have been that specific but as i remember it and just watching day after day it was like um you know you go in tuesday the pitching shows out but they don't score wednesday the pitching shows out but they don't score Thursday they score a bunch of runs but now they're getting more into their pitching staff a little bit more and they give up some runs and they lose like they could never get the pitching and the hitting going at the same time and then you know you see them no hitting Charleston you know five innings into this thing and you're like okay they're in the lead there they go they got a couple runs and then they just cannot push across any more runs and the bullpen collapses and that's Staten Island's first game of the year and they have no shot to redeem themselves over the weekend yeah, that's frustrating to see for them Um Charleston, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Charleston still, <laughs> which is kind of weird. But um, Charleston could go kind of any way. I think they definitely lack some depth. Um, I think pitching is going to be what they, they have to lean on. And, uh, I mean, they did. They pitched great. And that's just how they're going to have to win games, I think. I think they're going to have to capitalize when they have opportunities, just like they did uh, with that five-run inning to get the to get the win. And they're going to have to hold teams under four runs a lot. Four or less. That's just what the numbers are saying. Uh, lastly, you work at Lexington. Boy, the counterclock jerseys are ugly as sin. Um, hate that. Would put the C in the corner of the jersey. I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. Um, I think if they want to do something to celebrate home runs, they should get like a Flava Flav style clock necklace, but like a reverse clock and do that. I think that's absolutely what they should do. Um, I got into a couple people who felt that I am overly critical of Lexington. I... Feel like I am fairly observant of Lexington. That's probably it. And it's one of those things where, like, the kid at in I used to work in a school, and like there would always be kids who were like, "You single me out," and teachers were just like, "You cause problems. We so have to watch you constantly, and then everything you do gets seen." Um, I think Lexington has not done enough to get themselves past that. However, crowd was I crowd was. Let me think how to say it. There were a lot of empty seats, and when you see empty seats in Lexington, I want you to think about this. Um, not that you will, because you're not going to watch full sports. Cause why would you? But um, essentially, it's a huge stadium. It's really big. They built that thing like the boom era era of minor league baseball, and they were like, "Yeah, seventy thousand people get a Triple A team in here." Then became a short season like a league, and now it's a league. Um, it just wasn't built for this. Like it wasn't built for this number of people. Like Charleston kind of has it right when it comes to attendance, uh, capacity, uh, where you got, you know, your overflow decks and things like that. where like the big concourses. Where you can have people, but for the most part, when it comes to seating, well, it's tight and small. Gastonia even has the right idea. I think too, as well, uh, though people like to say, Oh, the seating bowl is too small. To make a profit. It's like easy. It's you'll be fine. Uh, you'll find a way to sell tickets. It lack of capacity is not the thing hurting Gastonia. Um, but, yeah, there were a lot of empty seats, but I will say this. I think it was better attendance than we had opening weekend at Lexington last year. So, doing something. Might be free tickets. Might be people coming to see what the hell is going on. We'll see if they can carry it through, but I think it's a good start for them. And that's good. I think baseball Lexington's Lexington is a good thing. So, I'm not that critical. Okay. that's the Oh, uh, for the weekend, too. I think Lexington and... They should be very happy to win. I don't think Lexington as good as they look this weekend, though, unfortunately. I just think their offense is not that good. I think they can hit home runs in that park because it's small. And I think uh, that bullpen's not going to hold up, and I don't think that rotation's going to hold up either past like the second or third starter. That said, York's the team to blow up on if you're going to blow up. So they did it. They got it right. But you can see there's going to be some sketchy games and some really hard-to-watch games, and they're going to get their wins, so we'll talk on them more. All right, let's get down to business here. I figure when it comes to... The Atlantic League preview, we will go one team at a time while working from worst to first in the projections. So we head in a somewhat predictable direction back to Lexington. Sorry, Lexington. Um, Lexington really fell off last season. Uh, I'll just quickly recap a little bit. I mean, there's a couple that I go more in-depth in, but uh, some of you you already know what's going on here. And some we just don't need to talk about that much. Um, Lexington fell off last season. Uh, They were selling the team. The genomes were there. It was a messy scenario. It was just not good across the board when it came to procurement of players. It was gross and didn't really work well. And people were, do you want to bring certain players in certain situations? It was, don't get me into the complications that went on there. But um, with everything that has happened and the changing of hands and changing of manager, there really aren't a lot of returning players this season. And, There's, you know, a look at the roster raises some questions about experience and about talent level. There's three players with MLB experience. There are six with AAA time. And it feels like a roster when you look at it that's waiting for players that are still needing their visas. But there really aren't any announced signings that we're waiting on. So I compare them very much to a Frederick right now with um, pitching depth concerns, with uh, a lack of pop in the lineup. But, you know, Frederick's got backup coming, and I feel like Lexington doesn't. Um, guys like Jared Eichoff, who, you know, he looked good, not great on, um, on Friday. I hope he gets it going, especially as it warms up here. Uh, abby Adol, all josh martin who did a great job coming into that one game just to shut things down and ronnie dawson they are set to be key contributors and they're going to need to be if this team's going to make it work um but yeah this lineup just lacks depth and so does that pitching staff i think all in all barry lyons has a difficult task in his first managerial role since the 90s by the way where'd he manage charleston there you go um also his, this is first time overseeing an indie ball roster which is a very different type of challenge we see a lot of growing pains with first time indie ball managers um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Atlantic League is one of the easier ones to deal with, um, not like the Frontier League. We're also watching your roster restrictions, but it's something to keep in mind. So um, before we get into the numbers, I'm also going to be being like where I rank. Like, I don't know how to, like, the best way to go about something like this. So I split it like infield, outfield, rotation, bullpen. I thought that was fair. Um, so just ranking the teams just to get an idea of where everybody is. You got the infield uh, eighth in the league, the outfield seventh in the league. I the starting rotation sixth in the league, and then the bullpen last in the league. Simply just lacking the depth necessary for the grind that is an Atlantic League season, and it is a grind. It's the longest uh, indie ball season. Indie ball is difficult. It's bus trips. It is managing guys who are signed away and injured, and just don't turn out. And you just, it's if you're starting with bad depth, it is really hard to fix. I just think there's way too many unproven guys, even in the depth they do have. That's no disrespect to them. It's just a very, very young team. They have like three 30 year olds or something on this team. Like, it is a young Atlantic League team, and I think it's going to be that is going to cost them its points. And, but other times, you know, they just like threw themselves in this weekend and went at it and got two out of three off York. So, youth is good sometimes and good on them. Um, projections have Lexington at 55 and 71 with a ceiling. Like, they're high of uh, they could potentially go with 73 and 53, leaving room for those unproven guys. If those, like, young guys really do show out and they mesh and they continue, just keep some momentum going and they get some new guys in, the projections can pick up on that too. Um, you know, there's a bunch of young guys with some buzz who could make that kind of thing happen. Um Though it does have to be noted, this team has by far the lowest floor of any team in the league. Like 26 and 100 came out as a potential, like, floor, which is, like, t- I mean, like travel ball, like the you know, not Empire State Grays, but like one of the Road Warriors teams went like 26-100 at one point. So that's there. I don't think the wheels will fall off that badly. I think there's the potential for it, surely. Um, but I don't see that happening. Um, though I do think they're unlikely to uh, reach that 55-win projection. I think they're probably closer to 50 wins. Um, finally, looking at the playoff odds, Lexington does enter with a 23% chance to make the playoffs, a 14% chance to return to the championship series, and a 5% chance to win the the title moving up the list and up to the north division we have a team that i liked a lot during the preseason but i'm not in love with now it's like one of those ones where you sit there all offseason like man they're coming together oh they're gonna be good they're gonna be nasty watch out they're coming for it they're motivated and then you see the opening day roster you're like this ain't it chief and that is the team that just played Lexington, and lost two out of three the york revolution led by new manager rick forney the Revs moved on from longtime manager Mark Mason. He's now the Empire State Gray's manager, which is going to be a fun conversation in a week or two. Um, they, they move. He moved on after a couple tough seasons there, where they finished a combined 28 games below 500. And now Forney's added some lineup depth with some key pieces like after there's Trey Martin and Jacob Ryan Smith, uh, as well as Carlos Espinal and Victor Capion. Uh, but this is just—it's just not really feeling like a well-rounded team right now. And maybe it's one of those things that he is very experienced. He's a very good manager, so I don't. I, part of the reason I think he's above, and I have them above um, Lexington, is, is he's so experienced. I do trust Rick Forney to be able to like pick up on the the ebb and flow of the Atlantic League and quickly improve the roster where it needs to be improved and continue to build. And he knows people; he has very good connections to find roster um, replacements and things like that. I could see them getting better as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, it's just not really feeling like a well-rounded team right now I do have the infield and rotation both ranked at the bottom of the league, which is kind of wild for York uh, With the outfield ranked ninth and the bullpen as a bright spot at number four in the league The Revs project is a 57 and 68 team with plenty of potential to overshoot that as 78 and 48 ceiling I don't think a 70 win season is likely but I don't think it is out of the question um, on the low end They also have a 40 and 86 floor. I could see them losing uh, or winning less than 50 games. Uh, I think both things are live possibilities. Uh, I think it is less likely. I do think it will probably settle in right around 500, a little below 500 as maybe a rough start. But as I said, believe in Rick Forney. He's a very good manager. I think he can right the ship when the time comes on things. Looking at playoff odds, the Rebs do still have a 51% chance to reach the playoffs. Behind the Ducks, it's kind of a crapshoot back there in the North Division. So, yeah, you're going to see some high odds for a team like the Rebs, even though they are the ninth team, essentially, uh, out of 10. A 26% chance to reach the championship and a 15% chance to win the title. Back in the South Division, we have the Charleston Dirty... Oh, it's worth noting, too, like, the reason their playoff odds are also pretty high is because, yeah, their projections aren't good, but those high-end projections are, like, sealing the 70... you know, 70-plus win ones, that is not overly – like there are some teams where it's like, yeah, you could if everything goes right. York could have some misses and still reach 70 wins. I, they're not a bad baseball team. It's just that they're kind of – they're lacking some pieces in my opinion. Back in the South Division, we have the Charleston Dirty Birds due up next. Uh, last season was definitely a disappointing one for Charleston. Uh, they, they failed to reach the playoffs after uh, making the dance in 2021, their first season in the Atlantic League. Charleston finished at the bottom of the South Division, going 53-79 and 79 last year. Uh, they're in the bottom half of the league in both pitching and hitting. That's a tough scene. Uh, Eddie Butler, williams Harris, uh, Bobby Bradley, Jeffrey Perez, Dwight Smith Jr., and Dewell Lugo headlined the roster this season, along with outfielder Dennis Phipps, lefties Kit Sheets, and Derek Adams, and reliever Ricardo Gomez. Definitely a more complete team than Lexington, which I say that because those are the two teams of the bottom of the South Division here. Um, I do think while their projections are just a couple games separated from each other, I would expect a noticeable difference in performance between these two teams throughout the year. Um, Maybe it's more like a coin toss who would win a game head-to-head right now, but I think if we revisit this in July, we're far more comfortable if we had to bet on one of them to bet on the dirty birds. Um, Offense does seem like a potential issue, man. Um, I mentioned it earlier. I'm ranking Charleston's infield and outfield ninth and 10th in the league, respectively. There's just not much there in terms of pop and, and, you know, anything that – you know, worries you if you're a pitcher and one of these lengthy pitching staffs. However, I am ranking the rotation second thanks to guys like Butler, Adams, and Sheets. And their bullpen third with Acardo Gomez, uh, Ryan Clark, Jacob, Boziakovich, and Mikey York potentially leading the way there. I like all those guys. I think they did a very good job playing the other pitching staff here. Um, they can find a couple bats. If a couple bats come through better than the projection show, I think this could be a very good team. Um, Jody Bird's pretty, all right, very good, chill, but like, have a playoff shot. That's what I'm saying. Um, the Dirty Birds projections land them at 58 and 68 with a ceiling of 78 and 48. So could go up about 20 games there. I would not be surprised if they break 500, that's for sure. And breaking 500 might be enough to grab a wild card spot depending on how things start to shake out. Um, it, also, they do have a floor of 42 and 84. I do think it's unlikely that they go below 50 wins. Um, I mean, frankly, again, good manager over there. Um, Billy Horn, is. he knows what he's doing. And I think if they start to skid in that direction, I think he is the wherewithal to put the brakes on it and make the moves he needs to make. Very well-connected, very smart guy. Uh, I think that will be, I, I wouldn't worry about them going under 50. I would say they're more likely going to be a 60, to 66 win team this season. Uh, taking a look at the team's playoff odds, Charleston's playoff odds are actually worse than Lexington's. This is because the projection model picks up on a lot of things, including the fact that you know the circumstances that would favor a Charleston performing well and you know possibly making the playoffs would also favor High Point and Lexington, which makes it again more difficult to make the playoffs. So it is sort of a weird thing there, but um, that's you know I've worked for your other projection model. That's what it is able to show you. So uh, that would tighten the race down the Dirty Birds, and that's why they're only showing a 15% chance to reach the playoffs and 8% chance to reach the playoffs. And I did not write down the percentage chance to. Um, win the championship, but I can scroll to it real quick. It was a 4% chance, so yeah, that is, I think, maybe the lowest odds you're going to see throughout this, but um, that is, you know, that's about it for Charleston right now. They're, they don't got a lot going. Um, that's not a route. I mean, the pitching's going to be really good. I think the pitching's going to be, uh, we saw with Staten Island, the pitching got them through, held them down two runs, they are able to get five runs across and one blow up inning, and boom, that's a win for Charleston, just like that, and they're going to have to win ball games that way. Uh, Staten Island, speaking of, there's a lot working against the Ferry Hawks this year, despite, I mean, this team very easily, I thought they were going to be at the bottom of the projections below Lexington. They didn't come up as the roster came together. I actually liked what they were doing. Talk about almost the opposite of York, where I was, um, I'm somewhat impressed now. Um, Last season was a mess on the field, but even more concerningly, it was a mess behind the scenes. Players talk, and that seems to really present some challenges with signing players. I don't know that for sure, but I do know some guys who, when I talk to them, you know, I talk to players about where they're trying to land, what I know, what openings are in depth, or it's, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Um, multiple guys have been like, yeah, I don't really want to go to Staten Island. Um, yeah, that's gonna make things pretty difficult for you. They um, put Gastonia had that going on, and now I don't think that's the case. So you can bounce back pretty quickly uh, from that sort of issue. Um, but yeah, so to a roster that badly needs some upgrades after finishing forty games below um, the well below five hundred, I guess. Yeah, twenty games below. Well, they had forty more losses than wins. Take the how you will. Uh, and losing the first nine games of their season, you know, they really need some upgrades here. That team finished last in the league in runs scored, scoring more than half a run less than the next worst offense. As I mentioned previously, pitching was a bright spot in 2022 with the Fairy Hawks finishing fifth in the league in pitching, which is great. But as I also mentioned, unfortunately, it didn't really tend to time out with when the hitting was getting good. So it's just, you know, the pitching would show up and then get no run support and then the pitching would falter and they'd score 10 runs and give up 11. It was just like, it was a tough scene. Um, don't kid yourself though. This, I mean, that's not saying it was a good team <laughs> that just a couple things didn't break their way. No, they, they lost a ton of games. Um, so sorry, it just wasn't that good of a team. That uh, one, I mean, Eduardo Alfonso did not really seem to have it together. Uh, managing is what it is. And um, it's a first year team. It's really difficult to be a first year team in the Atlantic League. So that comes with the territory. Um, Edgardo Alfonso was relieved of duties and replaced with Homer Bush. Bush does not have a ton of experience either, but you would think some people in the front office might now have some experience to help out. The team also brought in Reggie Harris as a pitching coach. I don't want to shade coaching too much, but he led the league's top pitching staff last year in Gastonia. Uh, but he's had some mixed reviews throughout his time in Gastonians, as I'll say a fact I might not mention, except for the fact that he led the league's best pitching staff and then was let go. So that's weird and something to keep an eye on. Uh, so now he is with Staten Island. That could be good. That could be bad. Who knows? But he at least has indie ball experience for better or worse. Um, as I'm saying that, I'm like, Hmm, that might not be a good thing, but um, <laughs> we'll see how that goes uh, on the field again. Uh, Kevin Krause is back. Kevin Krauss, he looked great for Staten Island very early last season, but was released after a reported, like, issue between him and Edgardo Alfonso regarding, at the end, like, some sort of team photo that he was late for, but that Krause was late for. But there was obviously – must have been other things going on there. Uh, Edgardo is gone. Kevin is back. Make of that what you will about that situation. I won't be diving too deep into the individual projections, as I said, but um, he projects to be quite good. Um we have uh, other notable additions. Sorry, I lost my spot for a second. Uh, Luis Castro, Dave Vincent Romero, Adrian Sanchez. Those are all very good signings. They traded for closer Jim Fuller, but I don't. Jim Fuller is on the roster, so I didn't see him at first there. I was like, wait a minute. Where'd my man go? Uh, Fuller's great. Long-time closer in this league. Uh, great move by them to at least get him. Um, I think they traded Capion for him. So, you know, I think it was probably they both want to change the scenery. That's the only reason those things tend to come together in this league. Um Pedro Piano, uh Kyle McGowan, who I said was dealing this weekend. Um, they all got brought in Parker Bug, a guy who I think could be a dude in this league. By the way, keep an eye on Parker Bug. Two Gs on that guy. Um, the Fairy Hawks, they are heading in the right direction. That's my hot take. Heading in the right direction on the field. It sounds like they're heading in the direction off the field too. So hopefully that is the case because they do need that organization to kind of get it together, boys, after last year. Uh, however, I'm just still not sure that these moves are enough to really get them competing for a playoff spot in the North Division. I, as I said, North Division's kind of shaky where they could, you know, be just okay and still compete, so, you know, don't take it too seriously, but uh, I think they have enough bullpen help to drop fewer games late, even though they just did that, which sucks uh, the other night, but, you know, that was a big issue for them was, you know, finally getting a lead and hanging on to it, and then they drop in the eighth inning, Uh, so, you know. The offense has improved a bit, but it's not really going to make an Atlantic league pitching staff sweat. It's one of those things where in Atlantic league, if you really want to go, you need nine spots that you know make a pitcher work. I just don't think they have that quite yet. Um, there's still a lot of guys on this roster lacking the talent level and experience that you're really looking for. But I'm ranking the Ferryhawks Hawks uh, sixth in the league in infielding. I got their outfield first. I think Ricardo Cespedes is great. I think Zach Cusin's great. I think Mikey Edelman has potential to be great. That's three. That's what you need. Kevin Krauss technically also an outfielder for them, but he's going to be DHing most of the time or catching. But I think, yeah, that's my hot. There it is. I put him first, so deal with that. Uh, the rotation, though, is seventh in the league. Wolpen is fifth in the league. That's just really not going to consistently get it done, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, yeah, if that infield was just a little bit better, I think they'd have a very different situation. Uh they project to finish fifty nine and sixty seven an improvement of about six games over last season, so good for them. Uh their ceiling oh no, that's more than that. No, it's a bigger one than that. I think I updated that at one point. I forget how far off there, but whatever. It's a big improvement. It's probably like more like ten games actually. Um I think they won forty eight, something like that. Um and but yeah, the ceiling though is gonna be about sixty six. So really fifty nine and sixty seven is the projection and that's very close to like maxing out what they can do. Um Basically, it's like, I don't think they're better than a 66-game win team, but I do think they're pretty damn close to that, so that's a good thing. Um, their floor is 32-94, and 94, leaving the possibility of a complete and utter collapse still in the conversation, uh, kind of like Lexington, where it's like, this could go bad, just so you know. Um, you know, a lot of variables in the situation. Homer Bush, that bullpen, um, the rotation. Will the offense stay together? Will, you know... You got those good offensive pieces I just named, but, you know, that's not nine guys. So there's a lot that could go sideways. But I do think uh, the Ferry Hawks will probably not go full meltdown, I want to say, this year. Um, Looking to the playoff odds, the Ferry Hawks have a 20% chance of a playoff berth this season, 10% chance of making the championship, and 5% of winning all in 2023. That's nice and clean there, the 20, 10, and 5. Looking ahead to another North Division team, and one that may come as a real surprise to still be this low on the list, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs after a hot start that propelled them to an eighty-three and forty-eight record on the year, Southern Maryland, they stuck to their usual strategy in the offseason, signed low-key names to build a well-rounded roster rather than just former MLB guys and big names like that. However, with, the, with major bullpen losses, including Matt Latos and Andrews Pursino, the Blue Crabs are definitely at a net loss this year, I think, than where they were last year. And a division full of teams that have been improving. Even, as I said, Staten Island's been improving. Um, York, I do think they're heading in the right direction. So, you know, it's not a good time to take a step backwards if you're Southern Maryland trying to get over the hump for a championship. Despite last year's success, that team, as I mentioned before, really did not have a great offense, average at best sort of thing. Um, and the lone real lineup boost they've put in place is Casey Hobson. Casey is a dog. I am not talking badly about Casey Hobson. Do not get on my case. I like the dude. He's very good. But he's also not a prototypical centerpiece in a lineup. You know, not something that you really can super build around. I, You know, Southern Maryland tends to do pretty well in strategy and they tend to make things work. So I'm not saying it's not going to work, but it is going to be a little bit more of a challenge than some other people that you could have brought in. But again, Casey's a good veteran presence, and as a locker room that thrives on a bunch of young dudes with several veterans that can kind of keep things moving. Um, top end of the rotation with Daryl Thompson and Mitch Lampson, as well as the bullpen, will still be solid. But this team definitely enters the season with more uh, depth questions than they had last season. I'm ranking the Blue Crabs infield as 7th in the league, the outfield as 6th, the rotation as 4th, and the bullpen as 7th. All that feels somewhat surreal to say after the year they had last year. But this, the projections have the Blue Grabs finishing 60 and 66. It's just not a spectacular team as a team that's going to have to play the Ducks quite a bit. The Ducks are not be very good. We're going to talk about that shortly. And I just don't think they've done enough to start gathering up wins the way they did. It seems like a huge fall from the record they put up last year. What was that, the 83 wins down to 60? But it's easy to have happen you know if you're built on the pitching and you lose a couple pitchers it can make a huge difference with that said i have infinite trust in southern maryland and daryl thompson to be able to coach up some of these kids and get that bullpen and the rotation right back to where it was <clears throat> and we're only standing there and all of a sudden there's gonna be a bunch of you know household names to people who follow indie ball that we had never heard of before this year because that's just what the blue crabs seem to do um Projections of the Blue Crabs, as I said, at 60 and 66, but their ceiling is very reachable at 79 and 47. I think this could easily be a team that wins over 70 games and rolls to a playoff spot. Um, again, I think a couple things need to fall in place there. Um, they need it to you know, have a few pieces fit in, probably make a signing or two or a trade. They are pretty good with trades, typically Southern Maryland, one of the few teams that really does that well. Um, and also, as I said, never doubt Daryl's ability to coach a pitching staff up. Already seems after one start he has not lost his stride at all, so... Uh, continuing to get better on the coaching side as well that is just he's such a weapon to have um the team's floor is 44 and 82 i think went them winning less than 50 games is extremely unlikely um i i just think so many things would have to go wrong um i think the only thing that could get them losing so much that they win less than 50 games would be a daryl thompson injury um i think he, they do rely on him a lot he eats innings he he gets to that bullpen, he gets them rested, and then delivers it to the top end of the bullpen the way they need it. And I think that's probably the only thing I could really see, other than maybe like um, having some of their main pitchers that they're relying on getting signed. Um, I, I, I do think this is probably a team that's going to fall right around 500. Um, the Blue Crabs enter the season with a 22% chance of reaching the playoffs again, an 11% chance of reaching the championship, and a 4% chance of finally winning their first Atlantic League title. All right, moving on from the Blue Crabs to their neighbors in Maryland. Frederick seems to have made a good move by grabbing Mark Minakazi to man the helm, considering he does have experience now with expansion teams in each of his past few seasons. How crazy is that? Because of that, I'm not sure if it's surprising or unsurprising to see them so high up this list, but the team was actually even higher at points, as I said. Um, you know They're having some visa delays that are keeping a number of their best players off the field, um sterling cat again i'll go over it um sterling castro jimmy paredes rowdy reed moises sierra dovidas never i think that was even better than the first time i did thank you uh and edgar garcia are the guys that stand out now they do have luke becker who came out nowhere last year and raked for lexington he's so good not for lexington for the genomes whatever um steven brault uh david kubiak eli vianueva and brady feigle all good players all guys who can uh, really cause some havoc for you. So I do think Frederick is still a good team. I think they're just, they had the potential to be a great team and now they really need some things to fall into place if they want to make that happen, which is uh, which is tough to see. I mean, you'd like them to be great. I think it's a lot of fun having know, sort of an expansion team, which they technically still are not. Nobody's announced that Frederick's staying around, but we all kind of know Frederick is going to stay around one form or another in the Atlantic League, which I think is great. Um, Moving on with Frederick, though, so considering both the roster that Frederick is supposed to have soon and the roster that they currently have, I've wrecked, I've wrecked, I've ranked the infield fifth in the league and the outfield up at second in the league. However, both rotation and the bullpen settled in at eighth in the rankings. Frederick boasts an impressive 65 and 61 record uh, projection with an even more impressively high ceiling and floor both ends. I mean, The projections don't see Frederick losing more than 56 games, uh, which is pretty wild to think, especially after being swept early. That could look bad. But uh, also the projections didn't take into account necessarily uh, all the players that are not here to start the year. So take it with a grain of salt, maybe expand that down to more like 50 games as the floor. But um, I don't think it is completely unreasonable. They could also get it together and win over 70 games. Um, I think Frederick is a serious playoff contender. And speaking of that, playoff odds for Frederick are 59%. Uh, 32% to make the championship, and 17% of winning it all in just their first year. That is very impressive from Frederick. Making our way to Lancaster and into the top four teams, trying to keep it rolling here because there are a lot. It's been, it's been long. Um, the Barnstormers got a characteristically slow start to the 2022 season. It seems to be the way you do things, just slow start and then just kind of Outlast some teams, get some pitchers lined up, and just make a push in the second half. Uh, realizing that all you need to do is win the second half and get hot for a few weeks, and there you go. Um, Lancaster Road pitching and hitting combination they are both top three in the league, uh, and then they returned much of that same roster. It's a good formula. Uh, they also added Tyler Laporte back to the lineup, and while Kyle uh, Kyle Kelly Dugan is, uh, I mean, he's still on the team, but it is kind of like an addition because he was injured last season before hurting. We talk about Courtney Hawkins in the year he had last year. Kelly Dugan, before hurting his foot last season, he had Homer 23 times in 62 games. It was good for a 1.105 OPS. He projects for a four-worst season in OPS plus over 150. Straight to it, I've got Lancaster ranked as the number one infield, the number three outfield. It's promising to be a very complete lineup if this group can stay together and stay healthy. you got familiar faces. they got Dugan, Cordero, Carpenter, Mercedes, Sandoval, Dunstan, Robinson. Names that you know if you've been around these indie ball streets. Those guys are really good, and they're going to be, I think, tearing it up for that team. Uh, on the bump, I'm also ranking Lancaster's rotation at third, but their bullpen back in ninth. Already you're seeing cracks in that this weekend, so I'm feeling even better about putting them ninth. So we're going to have to keep a close eye on that. <clears throat> With that weakness in the bullpen and losing late games as a potential, their projection is still at just 66 wins But they do have a massive 88-win ceiling, and I would not be surprised if they touch 75 wins. That this could be a very good team, though they are a couple injuries away from being just a team, and you could see them losing, uh, you know, or winning less than 60 games at that point as well. Uh, Their floor currently sits at 51 and 75. I think that would be pretty crazy. But the floor and the ceiling numbers are always going to be crazy. It's like, hey, like what are the extremes? But still, you know, if you see it, you're not like, oh my God, something is terribly wrong. You're like, oh, okay. Um, basically, the ceiling of floor is like, hey, if a couple things happen, this is what the record could be. Looking toward the playoff odds, the Barnstormers have a healthy 51% chance of making the playoffs. However, they don't seem like a strong bet in the playoffs, So just a 16% chance to make the championship and an 8% chance to go back-to-back. And a lot of that stems from the pitching side that we were talking about, especially the bullpen, where the teams with the solid bullpens tend to be the ones who do quite well in the playoffs, and the projections can see that. Heading south once again uh, to the team that Lancaster beat to claim the title in 2022, the Rockers look to return to the playoffs for the third time in their four-year history. After the run in 2022, High Point returns much of the same roster as well as some new faces. Taiwanese outfielder Daikon Yeo and Australian power hitter TJ Bennett stand out as potential key additions for them. Uh, Mickey Janis, Kyle Halmon both return to the pitching staff. Other than that, it's just business as usual. Solid Jamie Keefe roster. With that in mind, I mean, I'm ranking high points in field as number two in the league. they got Michael Russell, Xander Wheel, and Ryan Grotjon. Grotjon? Grotjon. Um Their outfield, however, is ranked back down at number eight. Certain rotation falls in the middle of the league at number five. And the bullpen does have standout potential. I put them at number one. They have really good depth all the way down to the sixth or seventh arm. I mentioned Bryce Hensley is a friend of the pod, so I watch him carefully. He has been putting up very good numbers. He was great out of the pen last year, ERA in the threes. He is like the sixth or seventh arm, in my opinion, in this bullpen. Like probably sixth. That's how good they are right now. So that sixth arm in their bullpen had a eerie in the threes last season. Projections give High Point a 69-57 and 57 predicted record with an 83-43 and 43 ceiling. If guys like Michael Russell, Sander Wheel, uh, Bennett, and others can maximize that team's lineup, I think it's probably more likely that they do sit right in around that 69-win title. <laughs> nice. Um uh, uh, 46 and 84, if the team runs into depth issues, like what happened last year, you might recall, like their entire starting rotation was either hurt or signed. And all of a sudden, they went from the hottest team in the league to just, I mean, just terrible. So it can happen quick. Life comes at you fast. And sometimes there's just nothing you can do about it. You just go, well, maybe second half. And they were right. Second half worked out for them. So, hey, um, looking at playoff odds here. The Rockers have a 35% chance to reach the playoffs, an 18% chance to reach the championship, and an 8% chance to win the title this time around. We're into the top two here, and there should be no surprises. Number two, we got the Long Island Ducks. Uh, The Ducks are aiming to bounce back from a rare playoff miss in 2022, and they seem motivated. They seem motivated after losing the championship to Lexington. It had now been a few years since they had won. Now they miss the playoffs. I bump into the mic because I'm so into talking about these two teams. I'm fascinated by the Ducks and Honey Hunters. Um, the Ducks have certainly been aggressive with their roster construction. They're grabbing big names from multiple Atlantic League teams, and they're making waves of signing MLB vets like Daniel Murphy, Danny hedger and Boog Powell. Typically, the two real avenues are seen as, like, do we get big name, like, you know, vets or great players from other teams, or do we go with, like, you know, the more understated route like Southern Maryland does? And, you know, you do one or the other. You get the MLB guys, or you kind of, like, raid some of the other teams, drawing in some of their best players. Long Island has just done both, which is wild to me Uh, the biggest concern for long island might be guys who haven't played a ton of professional ball recently i think dale murphy hasn't played much at least not professionally Um, and also guys you know they do have some guys who could get signed out if they perform well Um, there's i think for the most part though is making sure guys perform their potential does seem to be the case hatch every had a slow start but i think he'll probably catch up and be all right in the end this uh this roster I expect them to compete. This team's gonna be really good. I ranked their infield number three in the league, which may seem low because the infield is ridiculous. Like Murphy, um yeah, uh, they got just pros all over the place. They got like what three, four, four MLB guys in their infield. Um, but the talent level of the league is really high right now. I think that's great, and I think it should be noted. If I put you, if I put your favorite team down lower than you think they should be. Remember, the league's really good this year, so keep that in mind. Good stuff out of the Atlantic League. Um, ranked their outfield number five, and I ranked their rotation as their weak spot at number nine. It, it Definitely, that's the soft spot. If you're going to get to the Ducks, you got to get to the rotation. Um, the bullpen is much stronger at number two, so you got to be aware of that. If, you, if you're in a series with Long Island, if you can get to their rotation early, then you can dig into that bullpen. You know They might not have a ton of success about it, but tire them out. Maybe by the second or third game, you're starting to see some options, just like High Point did. Uh, got in the bullpen with the rain on Friday. By Saturday, they saw some lesser pitching and they're able to cash in and score 10 rounds. So something to keep in mind that's how you're gonna have to beat them. Um Long Island they project oh uh sorry, their bullpen, yeah, as I said, much stronger. They got Jose Jose back there, they got Reed Hayes back there. It's they're gonna be nasty. Long Island projects to go 70 and 56 with a 94 and 32 ceiling. I do not think that 85 wins out of the question as a high number, but I know that I think they are capable of doing that. If this team sticks together, everyone's healthy, and everybody's up to their potential. Um, that 94-32 ceiling is a bit crazy, but of course it is always going to be. It's the ceiling. Um, I think they'll be – I i do think they'll be closer to 94 wins than 70 wins. That's my thing. If everybody stays healthy, that's it. That's my bold take. Um, uh Oh, man, that's so many wins, though. 94, so many wins. <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, so basically the question is, will they win 80 games? Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I think they might win right on 80 games. If everyone's healthy, I think they're going to win right on 80. That's right about where they're going to be. And also, they might slow up a little bit because if they win the first half, I think they're going to pull back a little bit, especially if that pitching a little bit thin. I think you might see that. So... Um, Long Island does a very good job, especially approaching playoffs. By the way, at pulling randos, like they have a, a rich college baseball environment and summer ball environment that they can grab dudes from and like throw them in. Uh, they they're the king of like a random D two guy just coming in like tossing like two outings and like saving some pitching for them. Like they, I remember them doing that before the twenty twenty one playoffs. They had a couple guys who just seemed to show up out of nowhere and toss innings, and I and it would just save the pitching staff. So. You could see that as well, so that might affect some things. But anyway, looking at Long Island's playoff odds, they are carrying the best odds in the North Division with a 68% chance to make the playoffs and a 38% chance to uh, make it to the championship uh, and 17% chance to win the title. Finally, we have reached the top projected team. The Honey Hunters have continued their rise from the bottom of the league in 2021, setting a wild pace in 2022. They won 88 games. I was just stressing over how many games. 80 is. Well, Gastonia won 88 last season before losing in the divisional round of the playoffs. Gastonia lost some pieces like Reese Hampton and Jake Skull, both of who are now Savannah Bananas. How weird! weird is that? Um, but they did secure multiple impact players like Curtis Terry, Sal Romano, JC Ascara, uh, Steven Sensley, Marcus Walden, and Gunnar Kines. As the dust settles and all this, I'm ranking Gastonia's infield number four in the league, the outfield number two in the league, that rotation ranked at number one in the league, and the bullpen down number six due to some depth questions. Gastonia's projection outpaces the league by six games at 76 and 50. It's They have an absurd 96 and 30 ceiling. I don't think that's See, I want to say I don't think that's re- like reachable But I think this team is better than last year's team and last year's team won 88 games. So what do I know? Um, 90 is within Danger for that. I think they could hit 90 um, The one thing is I do um, See, I don't think Lexington's gonna be because you look at it. All right, 88 games Do I think Charleston's better than they were last year? Maybe a little bit Lexington not though. So I bet Estonia will win more games against Lexington than They did They killed Lexington last year um High Point. They'll probably win the same amount of games against High Point. Same amount of games against... Yeah, I think they could... I think they'll break 80. I think they'll break 80 this year. Eighty it's going to be tough again, man. You really got to have a lot going, right? Um, the Honey Hunters enter the campaign with a 69% chance to make the playoffs. Nice uh 34% chance to reach the playoffs or the championship rather and an 18% chance to win the title. Their floor by the way, so like the whoa, that's crazy, but like all right, sure. Uh, of how low they could really go is 58 wins. <laughs> like it's like eight games, what, 10 games below 500. Um that's wild. That's going to be a good team. So, how do I predict all this will go? Um I think Estonia wins both halves in the South. I think High Point pulls away from Frederick down the stretch to win the wild card. I think they have better depth. I think this is a better put together High Point team. Uh, I think they learned a little bit from last year's run that you know they 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 picked up those moments where you're sitting in the dugout in a a playoff series or down the stretch run. You go, damn! I wish we had this. You think about those things when it comes to constructing a roster the next time around. That sticks with you. That's a bad feeling. Going, I wish I had this weapon. I don't. I need it, but I don't got it. That sticks with you. I think they will bring a better constructed roster uh, than what Frederick is bringing to the table, and I think that will help them get over the hump against them. I think in the North Division, the Ducks win the first half. Uh, as I said, the Ducks tend to lay off the gas a little bit if they can do that. I think Lancaster or Southern Maryland is going to battle all – or and Southern Maryland will battle all year. I think Lancaster will probably make the playoffs with their usual second-half push. Uh, I think it's going to be closer than last year was, so Southern Maryland kind of uh, got back down off uh, – nuts. that's uh, – Uh, Long Island was who they're battling with. Long Island wasn't a real threat. So like Lancaster and Southern Maryland both got in. I think Southern Maryland had like pitch in through a wild card they'd get in, if I recall. Um, I think Lancaster gets in uh, either by winning the second half or the wild card. uh, But I think they are showing up a little more beat up than they were the year before uh, with Southern Maryland, uh, basically from their battle with Southern Maryland. I think Gastonia gets my high point this time around. Uh, I think they really solidify that North Carolina rivalry, by the way, trading off, you know, playoff series on who wins. I just think Gastonia is put together differently. I think they also benefit from the same thing I talked about last year. Seeing so around, going, damn, I wish I had this. I think they'll have it this year. Um, I think the Barnstormers, I think the Barnstormers will push the Ducks. But I think, again, they'll be a little too worn down in the playoffs to beat the Ducks in that first round series. I think the Ducks get by, but it might take five games. I think Gastonia could sweep high point. I think they're going to show up that ready to go, and I think they're going to win the division by a lot. I think they're going to have their pitching lined up and rested. Um, and then when it comes down to it, still rested. I think from a shorter playoff series, from a uh, maybe slightly less stressful uh, actual like regular season, I do think Long Island will probably not need to worry too much. But I think Gastonia will at least be able to beat the Ducks in the championship, finish that great turnaround. Ducks, again, will fall a little bit short, and they're going to be driven crazy by it. And I'm so curious to see what they're going to do with the signings next season after all that. Um, but also, by the way, the Ducks are super liable to just, like, pick up some guy. There's like a couple of former Mets out there who are, you know, poss- they're just free agents still. Watch the Ducks, man. If the Ducks start feeling like, you know, the Ducks are the type of team who could win the second half or the first half and then just sign some dude, just a guy who's going to crush And um, just line it up and say this is basically just for the playoffs, and uh, you know he'll play in the regular season too. But like this is, you know, now they know what they're building for. Um, They don't need to build. That's the big deal with winning the first half in the Atlantic League. The big deal is you can build your team completely differently. You can um, you can clinch your playoff spot and then build your team not to win in a 126 game season, but you can build your entire team to win a five game playoff series. It's a huge advantage. So that's what I got. That was a long one. Thank you for bearing with me. I hope you guys hope it made sense. Hope the visuals worked out. I'm, I tried to get them up on the screen, but we'll see if that actually turned out. Um, and if you're listening on the podcast, I hope you could follow. That was a lot of numbers and things like that. There's a reason I didn't talk individual projections during it. Um, Anyballs back, y'all. It's so good. Love it. Uh, this was a lot of like scripted reading, just notes and things like that. I'm going to try to be off the cuff more frequently because I think that works well. But, you know, for this one. And also, I got a co-host come along. So, spoilers. Um, so, we'll have a little bit of that, too. So, it'll be a little bit more banter than it's just me talking. But I appreciate you hanging in. I appreciate all these things with Indie Ball being back. The crew people who love Indie Ball with me because they're absolutely insane. And, I mean, all that comes with it, man. Indie Ball is so good. We're like 10 days away from Frontier and American Association. i got to get on your projections now. It's not done. It's not done. It's never done. Never done. Never done. Never done. I may not have a lot, but I love what I got. A four x four and a good fishing spot. I hope this time my card won't decline.